Welcome to Sake Deep Dive, the sake podcast for the beyond beginner. I am your host, Jim Ryan, uh, author, translator, and uh, general gadfly about Western Japan. And as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Andrew Russell. How are you doing today, Andrew? Very good, Jim. Uh, this is the first time we've done a podcast where I've actually been in the brewery. So I am officially fueled by Kenbishi tonight. So we will <laughs> find out over the course of this episode whether that is a good strategy or a bad one or not. But, uh, well, but yeah, raring to go for another episode. Rock on. So uh, the, the brewing season has officially started. It's it's pretty much in full gear at this point. We're in we're here here in in, in November. Uh, is the prospect looking okay? How's the rice this year? Any any grasp on the rice? Not very good. I think all the signs were pointing towards it not being very good. Yeah. You know, you've lived in Japan uh, this summer, Jim, so you know as well as I do that it was just outrageously warm for... It felt like every day. I can't remember there being a cool day. Oh, wasn't was, yeah. wasn't much rain either, which is quite it was unusual. Pretty terrible all around. Yeah. The only plus point was there wasn't that many typhoons. There, that that seems to be a given. The last well, the entire time I've been here, basically, that just as they're about to harvest the Yamaranishki and Omachi and things, there's a pretty strong typhoon turns up, but that didn't happen this year. For uh, I guess luckily, but. The, the rice is not great, and it is now late November when we're recording this, and it's still pretty warm. Yeah, it's 18 today here in Yamaguchi. Yeah, which is really weird, and it does not do sake brewing uh, any favours, to be honest. Yeah, hope, it, hope it, it sort of works out okay in the end. I'm sure the experts will have some ideas on how to, to deal with it. But um, anyway, let's uh, let's get to the point. Let's get to the, the whole crux of the issue. That Kenbishi that you had tonight, tell me, Andrew, was that Aruten or was that the other stuff? It certainly was Aruten. And go. I have no qualms about saying I quite enjoyed it tonight. So then uh, I suppose... That's probably as close as we're going to get to a segue. So uh, what's our topic tonight, Andy? It's funny. I thought you would use that as a segue, and it was a very good one. But we are <laughs> we are talking about, as usual, the opposite. We are talking about Jumai or Jumai Shu, whichever you prefer. And I have to say, this is actually, being honest, this is our second attempt. We We did try this once before, back when I was still in Hiroshima, and... Both of us were as bad as each other. We got slightly <laughs> emotional. Maybe we got a little off the rails. Yeah, sure. we got a little off the rails. Um, we abandoned the one and only time we have abandoned an episode. Uh, I think probably because it's something that we both feel very strongly about. And we both went in it probably emotions too high. And we, <laughs> we let it get the better of us. And we abandoned right. the episode. Tonight, we are going to do everything in our power to make sure that does not happen again. Well, we're older and wiser now, so I'm sure that it's not going to be a problem. So, yeah, so this is um, th this is probably going to have a lot of touchstones on earlier episodes that we have done, the uh, Futsushu and Aruten episodes in particular. 
link very closely to this development in uh, I guess the the modern history of sake brewing. Um, this is a I, I got to be honest, just and as a purely sort of research based level, this one was a little bit hard for me to approach. Andrew, how about you? Like, what? Where do you feel like we should start this conversation? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I, I totally agree with you. It was very hard because you inevitably have to reference a, a certain book that we are definitely going to get into tonight <laughs> there's no avoiding it and it would be remiss of us if we if we did avoid it to be perfectly honest so that we don't get off on the same footing as we did the last time i think it's probably important that we actually start with a definition or as close to a definition as we're going to get to what jumai actually is so if we could start there, I think that's probably a better point than starting with what's wrong with the modern definition of it. Right. So again, right now, the way we are with the sake brewing industry is that Junmai is one of the Tokute Meishoshu designations, right? The special designations of sake. And uh, the current, I guess you would call it legal labeling definition of a Junmaishu is one that is made with out any additives sort of i guess once you've added the <laughs> the yeast and any uh lactic acid that you're going to add right so it is rice koji yeast and water is sort of the the basic definition there was a time when the tokute meishoshu included a uh, rice polishing of 70 percent but that has been abolished there is no minimum rice polishing ratio for Jumaishu as it is right now. That's sort of the, I guess what you'd say that the textbook definition of a Jumaishu is, right? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my cards on the table now. I, if that's the textbook definition, I, I have a big issue with it. Jum Jumaishu is just simply a tax definition. Translators and writers and what have you don't get to decide on definitions like this. This mm -hmm. is, like you said, this is part of the Tokte Meishoshu system. Jumai is simply a term used or created by the taxmen, and it has a lot of rules and regulations which therefore define it as, as a classification. And that prevails over anything else. And, and mm -hmm. to me, on on that basis, jumai does not mean sake made from rice, koji, and water. It's much more complicated than that. And okay. blatantly, there is just more ingredients involved than those three simple ingredients. But yet, that is what you hear when someone says jumai. Inevitably, they will say it's, it's sake made from rice, water, and koji. But if you wanted to say that in Japanese, you wouldn't necessarily need to use the word jumai. You would just say mm -hmm. komidake no sake. You know, it's right. sake that's made using only rice. So I think before we get started and really get into the nitty gritty, I think it's important to point out exactly what jumai means, because I do think this is one of the most divisive aspects of the industry right now. And I think most of the 
most of the opinions that come about Jumai are largely based on an ignorance of what it actually means. All right. I, I, so I can, I can see that obviously um, there's, there's, there's this very large, I think divide between like, like we've been discussing sort of this official definition and this is the stuff that gets put on labels and things. And then the sort of, I guess the ideological grouping of, of, you know, the stuff that, you know, we're going to be talking about with that book by Uehara Hiroshi. But uh, when you talk about sort of the, the more complex definition, I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. What, what is that more complex definition? So like I said, Jumai Shu or Jumai, the category starts with the Tokte Meishoshu system, which is in 1990. Mm -hmm. It has been redefined by the, by the tax authorities that happened in 2004. So when it first comes on the scene, it has the same polishing limits, I guess, as its counterpart, Honjozo, which is added alcohol. So the the minimum same IBUI was 70% and then you had to go above. So you go to 60% and you have Jumai Ginjo and then 50% and you have Jumai Dai Ginjo, which mirrors Dai Ginjo, Ginjo and Honjozo. But of course, within that, there's a lot of rules that it still has to, or a lot of boxes it still has to tick. For example, a graded sake rice or graded rice, it has to yeah. has to fall into that category. You can't use togai mai, for example, which is ungraded rice. You still have to adhere to 15% koji ratio. That is a minimum requirement for tokutemi shoshu. You have to use 15%, that's 15% of the total white rice, but it got redefined in 2004 and they actually removed that semi buai limit. People sometimes take that as, well, it, it can be unpolished rice. It can't be actually, it has to be hakumai, what they call hakumai, which is white rice. And one of the reasons for that goes back further. So in, in 1975, the, the National Tax Agency strongly requested that the brewers start using other components of rice to make sake. So things like nuka and rice flour. Mm -hmm. the, the logic from them at the time was that if you use that, you can make, you can still make jumai. And they realized that it was very difficult to make good sake from that. So they, they abolished that rule and put in the the caveat that it must be polished rice. So polished rice is also a requisite for, for Jumai. But then there's some slightly more vague rules as well that you must follow. So in Japanese, these are, it must be teri and sae, so that it must have luster and clarity. So these are starting to get a bit more vague. Mm -hmm. But, and this is the bit which is almost exclusively emitted from descriptions of Junmai, you can still add additional ingredients to Junmai sake. There are several that are permitted, and I don't need to tell you what they are because I've read your fantastic blog that you wrote a while ago. And this is where I have an issue with, or this is where the whole issue really comes from the people saying Jumai is this superior product to 
Aru 10 on the basis that there's nothing else added to it. And on the basis that adding alcohol is this outside ingredient that is not included in the rice, rice koji and water sphere, and therefore it's impure. And we still have the issue of Sokojo to talk about as well. So there's quite a lot to unpack there. Right. So, so like, yeah, like, like Andy was saying, um, Junmai does allow for additions of things other than obviously the, the rice and the koji keen, right? So there's uh, added lactic acid for Sokojo, of course. And then uh, there are ways to adjust for flavors using uh, things like uh, amino acids. There are ways to adjust for a poor koji, the uh, sort of poor, poor koji activity by adding enzymes. And there are ways to sort of boost flavors by adding things like uh, some, some sugar sugaring, right? So what happens is that um, the concept of Junmai and the reality of Junmai, there's a bit of a departure there. Uh, I, I do have to sort of um, go back and say that this departure, I, I don't know if departure is perhaps the correct word. Uh, th there is a division there. And the division, I think, is is rooted in sort of the origins of this modern Junmai boom, right? So uh, like I said, we're going to talk about uh, Uehara-san. But when I was researching this, I went back and, and tried to find the first mention of Junmai I could in sort of the official literature. So, you know, things like the the journal of the the, the Brewers Association or, or the, uh, the National Research Institute of Brewing or whatever. And I found the very first one I could find was in 1974. And it's someone talking about uh, Junmai production. And they do use the term Junmai and they define it as sake without alcohol added uh, in that in, in 1974. So you know, there were people who were already sort of establishing this. They wanted to to make this argument that it is a, a pure thing a long time ago. But the reality of sake brewing isn't so pretty and clean and doesn't you know, sort of always allow for that, I guess you'd say, ideological purity that people are, are kind of arguing for even today uh, when they're trying to sell sake. I think it's very important to just to kind of knock that nonsense out of the park that Jumai is this completely holier than whole pure sake that is made from rice, koji and water. Of course your your critical faculties should start setting alarm bells immediately when you hear that because if it's sokujo, which a lot of sake is sokujo, then you know right away that lactic acid has been added to it. Yeast has obviously been added to that's that's a given. You know, no one can be accused of not knowing the these other laws because it's very that's very technical stuff and that's stuff that's decided by, like I said, the, the tax authorities. But if you look at, for example, Aramasa's website, they make a they have a statement on their website where they say that we make sake without using these ingredients. So they've seen fit that they have to point out that they don't use additional ingredients. But to say that about all Junmai is, is crazy because that is definitely 100% not the case. 
the only way you would find that out is by checking individually whether these additional ingredients have been used. Now, personally, I don't have a big deal with it. I, I've seen it being done. I've worked at breweries where they've added things before. Again, it's not a really big deal, but it's important to get that out of the way because it does help later in this argument about the differences between Aruten and, uh, and Junmai. Yeah. Okay, so now <laughs> I think we probably argued about the definition a little bit uh, more than than maybe we should have. Let's let's sort of pull back it in and let's 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 see if we can discuss a little bit of the development of Junmai in the in post-war Japan, right? Yeah, I mean we're gonna have to obviously gonna repeat ourselves a little bit. It's inevitable from the the Aruten episode. So we'll, we'll kind of do an abridged version, I think, is probably best. Basically, up until the post-war period, uh, or sorry, the pre-war period, the immediate pre-war period, they start using added alcohol, not just added alcohol, various other things, but added alcohol is probably the most widely known uh, extra ingredient for various reasons, to, to bulk up yields, to make sake more stable. I think you pointed out in the Aruten episode that by adding alcohol, it meant it didn't freeze as easily when they were fighting in Manchuria and things like this. That's the, the, the pre-war and during the war. And then in the post-war period, we, we see a change of why they're doing it. We start to see rice shortages. Of course, that was going on in the war as well, but maybe a bit more severe actually after the war. Brewers are getting put on more, more, more pressure is put on them to to cut back on rice usage and to use alternatives. And that is where we enter the, the sort of murky waters of triple yielded sake and things where they're right. adding huge amounts of uh, added alcohol and other things as well. Like I said, added alcohol is always the one that gets the headline, but they were adding lots of other things as well. And they really kind of bulked up the yield that way. And, you know, I haven't tried that kind of stuff, but I'm sure it was absolutely terrible. But that is not just the story of Aruten, as I'm sure you're desperate to, to jump in and, uh, and tell us about Right. Yeah. So the, the, of course, you know, if you go back to our Aruten episode, you know all this, but you know, the, the history of Aruten do, does go back to our, our favorite book, the Shuzo Domoki in, in the Edo period, when they were making Hashira Jochu using rice shochu as a way to stabilize and uh, lighten the flavors of the sake they were making. Right. Um, obviously, like as you said, during the, that sort of pre and into the post-war period, uh, the reasoning became a little bit different, but uh, you know, it wasn't just sort of something out of nowhere. So this this historically sort of attested method of adding distilled alcohol to sake became a very distorted kind of production method in the modern era. And I think what we see as the modern uh, Junmai shift is a response to that, right? There was there was a bad turn in sake, and there was lots of really poor sake being made. And you know, obviously, people who cared about sake and who wanted to see the industry improve, particularly as sort of that uh, in the '60s and '70s, people started turning away from nihonshu and drinking other things. They were drinking beer and and wine and whiskey and such. And um, 
I think some of the people decided that the way to do this would be just to, to pare everything down and get back to what they saw as the, the, the basis of sake brewing, and that's rice. Yeah, the problem has been people just took it way too far. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. just, and it's just become this bizarre kind of Jumai versus Aruten discussion, which, like, like I said, yes. it's uh, based largely on a, an ignorance of the history of both of them. And like you said, that reaction to what was being made in the post-war period that, that saw this Junmai revival, if you want, if you want to call it that, and I think like we talked about in the Aruten episode as well, there's a few brewers just start to say, right, maybe we should stop making sake like this, stop making sake that's got tons of additives and tons of things that give it a bad reputation, and there's quite a few breweries, which is always the case, that claim this piece of the pie that you know they had. They had the most to do with it and you know they were the pioneers or what have you yeah so i think maybe we should go through some of the candidates of those you know there are quite a few they, they do tend to claim slightly different like i said slightly different pieces of the pie so you have people like uh, kamo izumi in uh, saijo in hiroshima that in 1972 launched uh, something called honjikomi and this is uh, the the honjikomi is their way of saying jumai back then, so they're attesting to the fact that it's it was made. I guess what it would tick some of the boxes towards a modern day jumai. You then have uh, shinkami, who say that they are the first to go one hundred percent jumai. So they were the first brewery that changed all of their production to to jumai, and I think. Nowadays, they do seem to be the poster boy for Jumaists that they're kind of put on a pedestal, aren't we? I'm not sure why Kamo Izumi aren't as much, but certainly I do hear a lot of people saying that Shinkami are famously this Jumai Kura. Yeah. Or Jumai Gura, actually, sorry. And then lastly, you have people like Uehara Hiroshi, who go as far as to say that it was their idea. So he he does say in his book that uh, he, he 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 saved the, the sake idea. industry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, according to Uehara-san, he approached a a brewery in uh, Shimane and said that this is what we need to do to save the brewery, uh, save the sake industry. Sorry, and they agreed to make a tank of Jumai, and customers were not susceptible to it yet because it was so. It was so different from all the stuff that they'd been drinking up until that point in living memory. So they ended up pouring it into a presumably futsushu, ironically, and it, it got blended and put out to customers that way. But but that that's the three kind of big players, I guess, in the in the narrative around who who's responsible for the resurgency of Jumaishu back in what nineteen early nineteen seventies. Well, I have, I, I did, I was able to find references. So from uh, Kyoto's Tama no Hikari of making what they called Mutenka Seishu, additive free sake in 1964. So again, we don't have details of the recipe, but I assume that by, by saying Mutenka, they're saying none of that stuff that is added to Sanzoshu is, is in this. 
Um, yeah, sorry, that would put them at the front of the queue, to be fair. Yeah. So, and then 1967, Chiyono Sono and Kumamoto put out something that they call now a Junmaishu. And that's also when Uehara-san was really doing his work. So we're, yeah, late 60s, uh, 1970s is when this started to really sort of take root. Uh, obviously, you know, nothing happens overnight. So, you know, people were probably researching and, and practicing and trying to figure out good ways to do this uh, in the early 60s, right? So it, it does have a bit of history uh, when it comes to that. Yeah, so we can say that round about the the mid to late 60s is when this Jumai resurgence or revolution or whatever you want to call it, that that's the starting point. Okay. Sort of stop being around the bush. Get to, uh, I think, a, a very important central figure in this this whole story, and that is the man we've mentioned before, Uehara Hiroshi. Uh, he, I think, is probably known to several of uh, our listeners just because you know he's he's become uh, kind of this uh, really famous figure he wrote lots of books and you know he inspired a character in that manga uh, natsuko no sake so who is this guy um in in a, in, a, in a nutshell right he he's this man who was born in 1924 in totori prefecture which is in western japan uh, he served in the military and after that he returned to his job uh, with the hiroshima regional tax bureau the Hiroshima Regional Tax Bureau is kind of the, the central authority for all taxes, which includes things like uh, sake brewing licensing and all of the income that comes from sake brewing uh, for Western Japan. So the, the, the what we call the five Chugoku prefectures of Hiroshima, uh, Okayama, Yamaguchi, Shimane, and Totori. And uh, in sort of that connection, he also worked with this agency called the Totori Industrial Research uh, Organization, which um, is in, in charge of things like uh, technology and techniques for improving brewing and things like that. Um, so basically, he's, he's been at the top of, uh, I said, of sort of the administrative and uh, technical groups for sake brewing in Western Japan uh, from the 1940s. And uh, like we said, he from the 1970s, he was, or from the 1960s, I guess, he was working with uh, breweries in his home prefecture of Totori and other Western Japan, Japan breweries to do this brewing of what came to be called Junmai Sake. Right, so that's that's sort of his background in a nutshell. <laughs> anything anything you, you think I missed or, or want to add there, Andy? Just the, the biggest part of his legacy seems to be a very simple saying that I, I see it all the time. I see it all the time badly translated as well. And I always right. wonder if people know the origin of what they're saying or what they're displaying on their T-shirt or whatever. But there, there is a saying, Saki is Jumai. If it's Panzaki, it's better. I, I saw T-shirts recently that said, Jumai is better, Kanzaki is even better, which is not a translation of what he what he said, but it's kind of you, you can see where the the lost mm -hmm. in translation got or came from. Right, it's sort of everything that I've read about him 
mentions that he had a sharp tongue, that he, he could be quite a, 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 an aggressive fellow. And, you know, the character in those manga, the manga that I mentioned before is, is, is like that. And then, you know, as Andy mentioned, we have tried to read one of his books. Which, which book have you tried and failed to read? I tried and failed to read Junmai Shu Takumi no Wazato Dento. So uh, Junmai, the, uh, the Techniques and Legends of Masters which is a kind of update and reprint of a 2002 book that was originally called uh, Iza Nihonshu Hitori Hitoge no Waza to Shin, or Now Junmaishu, uh, One Man, One Performing Skill and Spirit, something like that off the top of my head. I haven't really thought about the translation much. So I've tried to read that and failed. How about you, Andy? Yeah, I have the same book in my hand right now. I, like I said, I tried to read it when I was in Hiroshima. I got too upset with it. And I've been trying to read it since I started brewing uh, this season. And how are you going to put this? It's it's not worth my time to read any further. With, with no disrespect, you know, we're not trying to be iconoclastic or anything on this. I'm sure he had did many great things and supported a lot of breweries and what have you. But the, the cold, hard truth of the matter is someone in his position, someone that was respected in the way he was, someone that's had published books, <laughs> you would expect them to have read the Domo Shuzoki. And I know we sound a bit like a broken record when we keep talking about the Domo Shuzoki, there were numerous other sources that you can go and look at that mention Hashira Jochu or Hashira Shochu. This is this is Aruten from the Edo period. There are countless sources out there. It's not some you know crazy conspiracy theory. However, the Domo Shuzoki. This was written written a. They, they're not sure. Historians are not exactly sure, but the best estimate is about sixteen eighty seven. I think is I don't know how they've they've come to that conclusion, but it's early seven or late seventeenth century. That's when it was written, so presumably he was basing this on the last two, three, maybe four decades of brewing history, and it is extremely well written. It is it goes into every little detail, incredible detail, in fact, of the brewing process from that time, and therefore. It is the definitive guide, still considered the definitive guide by most historians, to sake brewing from the Edo period. And he has somehow failed to acknowledge or find this crucial document that there, there are things written in, the, in that book throughout where he talks about all sake before the war was made in according to Jumai standards, he completely denies Aruten's existence up until the immediate pre-war period. And that is simply not true. I, I never met the man, of course, and I mean no ill harm to anyone. I'm, you know, he's written a book and some people, you know, some people love what he has to say, but um, I, I just have a very different opinion based on facts. So he talks about Jumai and Aruten should be considered two different things. 
and he compares them to 100% malt beer and hapo shoe. My comment that I've wrote is I wonder what you would think of today's craft beer because craft beer obviously adds a, a lot of different ingredients to it and that's what's made it so so successful. But he, he talks about up until the, the pre-war period that all sake was, was junmai and he uses this term quite quite often that if it's had added alcohol, it's fake, it's spurious. He talks about that they should be taxed differently, but it gets so subjective. It's written in the book that sake is undrinkable because of the aroma if you heat it. So I'll just leave that one for, for, for our listeners to think <laughs> about. If it's aruten and you heat it, it becomes undrinkable. I think he talks about uh, aging and he said that obviously if it's junmai and it's been made well, then it'll age really well. But if it's had added alcohol, then it will just deteriorate rapidly. And a rough translation is all it will be good for is cooking. So one of my top five sakes of all time was made by a rather famous person called Noguchi, uh, who happens to be probably the most experienced Toji alive. And he believes quite clearly from their product lineup that Honjozo ages well. And I agree with them because I've tried it and I like it. That's my opinion. So his opinion is he doesn't like it, but that's all it is. It's just his opinion. We're all entitled to them, but it doesn't make it true. And I probably would have had a bit more caution than to, than to put that into print, that sake is deteriorates if it's had added alcohol. And, and this goes back to something that I, I heard recently from, uh, from Philip Harper. He said, you, you've always got to be aware of what you read about sake because people that document sake and write things down are usually people that haven't actually brewed sake. And this guy hasn't brewed sake before. And if he had, and he had the experience to say Noguchi had or less, he would probably know that what he said is just simply his opinion and one completely unsubstantiated. And that is why I said, if I was reading a book and I wanted a more balanced opinion, I would certainly read something different. For example, uh, Horie Shuji, who gives far more detailed uh, descriptions of sake brewing, but without that bias. Um, there's a brilliant book by the Kuramoto of uh, Sawanotsuru in Nada. He does a fantastic rundown of what Jumai means and what Aruten means. I strongly recommend it. It's called Nada no Kuramoto uh, Sambyakunen. Uh, so 300 years of uh, being a Akura in Nada. So these are alternative sources that I would strongly urge people to read. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree that um, you just trying to get at sort of the factual stuff through um, not only the like the clear subjective dislike of the Honjozo, the Aruten brewing, but his own like, it, it, I'll be perfectly honest, like, he literally says that he saved for the sake industry and, and that he was the one who, who taught everyone to make junmai and that it was all him. So, you know, uh, obviously, there's, there, there are people who uh, have been influenced by him and that he, he was important and was influential. But 
yeah, it's really hard to get through the book. Uh, and I've, I've failed a few times. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is the guy that, that I think established the, the sort of the social, uh, attitudes towards Jume that are becoming so pre prevalent because I've heard other people in the industry basically parrot exactly what he said. Like I've, I've heard people for, um, from uh, a certain, uh, institute that talks about service and sake <laughs> if you think about it you should probably figure that one out who who has literally said that autoten sake is basically a rum cocktail uh because it uses distilled alcohol made from sugarcane so you know it, it's not uh it, it has gone on to become part of the industry and an ideology that is not at all uncommon and in fact grows more common seeing as how you know the junmai uh, group junmai ginjo or junmai daiginjo are the fastest growing segments of the industry's market and uh, production yeah and, um, and just yeah. to be clear i think i think we would both agree there's there's nothing wrong with having a an opinion on sake certainly nothing wrong with having preferences either I think it's the where where my issue comes from with with his particular discourse is we know for a fact that Aruten is a substantial tangible part of the history of sake brewing, but it completely ignores it all in favor of his his own preferences. And like you said, the danger of that is so many people are now taking it literally that Aruten is this terrible fake sake and the the results speak for themselves honjozo is is in decline each year and junmai as a category is uh, is is going in the opposite direction maybe that's good maybe it's not personally i just think it's a shame that we can't accept the you know the two categories and enjoy the fact that there's there's an option and of course so many people talk about how this brewery won the Kampiokai and this brewery did this. And nine times out of ten, they, they won it through, through Aruten. I think we mentioned Kamoizumi, who are one of the, the so-called pioneers of the Junmai Sake. I believe the Kuramoto is one of the heads of the Junmai Association. Um, you can search their products if you want. There's a, there's a Daiginjo in there. So I guess they're only willing to... to Pin their flag to the Jumai, the Jumai crowd, as long as it doesn't affect the, the result of the Kampiokai. So it, it just seems so kind of confused to me that we have all this negativity towards Honjozo, yet it is so prevalent in the industry and we know the, the wonderful history and what it's done for sake brewing and continues to do sake brewing in the present day. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there, nobody has any doubts about how we feel about the subject. Um, right. You, I mean, we both drink a lot of both classes, right? We both drink a lot of Aruten. We both drink a lot of uh, my type of stuff. So, you know, this is really just an argument against, uh, against ideology, really. Why can't both sort of adjust? I, I am glad that, that Junmai did become this this sort of class i am glad that that the uh the post-war sake brewing industry diversified like that like it it was able to throw off that 
that admittedly unpleasant Sanzoshu influence and, and explore and, and, and grow. But I, I don't think that that means we need to discard some of the, I think, very valid and useful and interesting techniques that did come out of, of adding uh, alcohol to, uh, to sake. Yeah, and that, that's a very good point. It's, it is a separate school of brewing. Added alcohol and jum and or aruten and jummai, they're they're a different, they're they're a different technique inside the brewery. One of one of the things that you will, or you heard a lot from the the the, the, the so called pioneers of jummai, people like Shinkami and Kamoizumi and what have you, when they were starting this revival, the norm up until that point, and you'd imagine most of the kurabito and the tojis that were being asked to make jummai, this would have been an unusual method to, to not add alcohol. And it, it sounds very simple, well, you just don't add alcohol. But it, it's not. The, the, the benefits to adding aruten unfortunately become a challenge when you're making jummai. So there, there is truth in the matter that back then, it was probably a bit more difficult to make the switch into into jummai. That the most obvious one is we, we always hear about adding alcohol and it it releases esters and you draw out more aromatics, but you never really get the full description of what's actually going on. But as as one of my former toji used to say, when you add alcohol, one of the benefits is you you kind of trap the unwanted elements into the the kasu. If you've got kasu that doesn't taste very nice, then you'll usually have good sake and vice versa. So you get kasu that doesn't taste particularly great, but obviously the, the priority is to make good sake, not make good kasu. So when you switch to jummai, that was a that was an issue that, that they faced. And obviously, the brewers back then would have had to go get over the fact that consumers would not have been particularly fond of the higher acidity. Higher acidity is a characteristic of junmai. You can't again. You can't make yeah. You know, sweeping judgments for all all sake. There's so many different uh, varieties and things. But nowadays, of course. You know, the buzzword is acidity. People want acidity because most people are trying to parrot white wine. And the more acidity you have, the closer you get to that ideal white wine flavor. And they can say, well, it's just like white wine when they're selling it abroad and what have you. But back in back in the day when Junmai was just making its resurgence, that, that was not the flavor profile that people were, were after. And certainly sake was not getting exported to, to anywhere close to the volume that's getting done now. So that extra acidity was, was a, was a hurdle. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is, I think an interesting thing. I've, I've heard that same conversation of, about, uh, making breweries that were making that switch to Junmai, you know, having, you know, resistance because the, the sake would be too acidic. It would be too heavy. It would be too, too rich and having to learn new techniques. And of course that was what, uh, Uehara-san was all about, right? He was teaching people, like he he wanted to spread the techniques and not just say, you know, stop stop adding alcohol, right? So it, it is, I guess, just a different beast. And 
you know, there is, I think, a lot of uh, interesting experience to be had in exploring those differences and, and remembering that it's not just this one has added alcohol, this one doesn't. They're approached in two different sort of technical ways. All right, so I think you know we're 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 coming up on on the end here, and it's probably a good time just to sort of sum up and think about you know what it is that has happened here, right? We we've got this social uh, pre I hate to say prejudice, but this social stigma against adding alcohol to sake despite its historical attestation and the obvious sort of positive influences of it right um i don't know what's your take on that andy like i said i think it's probably quite obvious i do have a bit of an issue with this whole premise of jumaishu particularly that discourse that before the war sake was jumai it wasn't but we'll, we'll forget that but let's just say it was just Jumai before the war and they never added any alcohol the entire time during the, the Edo period. And that therefore, because they added alcohol during the war, that's fake sake and you need to start making Jumai to get back to their, their roots. I just don't understand why it's just the added alcohol part. That's the part I want people to, to think about. Why is it just added alcohol? You could say the same thing about so many other things. Sokojo, for example, if we go down that train of thought and anything that's not made in the same way is fake sake, then Sokojo has to go. They add lactic acid. It's commercially produced lactic acid. So you'd have to go to Kimoto or Yamahai. That would be an absolute given, preferably Kimoto, because that's how they used to make it. So you have to go back to that. You have to then stop adding all the other ingredients that brewers, we know brewers are using to make slight adjustments here and there to, to, to tweak things. So it, it isn't just the Aruten thing. There's, there's a whole host of other things. You know, you wouldn't have aromatics the way you did because that's not real sake. That's fake sake, isn't it? Because you're doing it with, you know, commercially produced yeasts that are, that are designed in a laboratory to to give you pronounced aromatics so all of that would have to be fake to follow that same logic <laughs> right yeah i i think that's probably our takeaway right like it's uh it's it's just a a, a really weird social discourse that uh it 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 confuses the issue and that we, it's basically just two different styles of making sake all right, so I think that's probably a good point for us to stop. And uh, what's your recommendation for this, Andy? I think that's what everybody's waiting for. Well, I think I'm going to be in your good books with this one. I, I was going to be kind of difficult and pick one from from Nada that no one will probably heard of, and it's uh, it it's you know it's sold in a carton and what have you. But I, I'm going to go with uh, Gokyo. Ooh. And I'm going to go with her Junmai Kiyoke because that to me is a real Junmai. That, that to me is yeah. quintessential Junmai. You plonk it on the dinner table, it doesn't make any fuss, but it's brilliant. So if you take the food away, it's still very enjoyable, but when the food's there, 
it just says, okay, I'm going to help this meal. Yeah, Gokyo Jumai Kyoke. Well, I am I am glad that you have jumped on the Gokyo train. You've been on it on a while, I know, but yeah. and uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned that you you thought about recommending this, this sort of rare one that no nobody could ever get because that's kind of what I'm going to go for this time. Uh, uh, the one that I had it's called uh, Ryujin Maru. It's from uh, a brewery in uh, was it Wakayama? I think yeah, Wakayama. Uh, Takagi Shuzo. And this is one that apparently is only available from uh, sort of their their specially licensed brewery shops or whatever. Uh, and it, it's one that, that someone online sent me. So I, I don't even know how to get it again. But it was really fantastic. It was a 70% milled Junmai Namagenchu that had been aged for two years. And it was just lovely and complex big and flavorful but again not not aromatic it wasn't all fruit balmy and and stuff it was just yeah it was just sort of a nice uh fundamentals i think it had all the fundamentals that i like in a sake so again ryujin maru from takagaki shuzo in wakayama that's my recommendation brilliant so just if any of our listeners are in Wakayama, <laughs> then maybe you'll find Jim's recommendation. Maybe you won't. <laughs> maybe you won't. Who knows? But hey, it, it's out there waiting for you if you're if you're set to explore in Japan one day. So that brings us to the end of another sake deep dive. Thank you so much for listening. Our Patreon is still up there. If for for all of you who are our supporters, we are grateful and uh, hopefully. Uh, you you uh, you feel like your your support is worth it. We we definitely hope uh, to to have some more, and uh, that is of course at www.patreon.com/sakedeepdive, all one word. I have been your host, Jim Ryan. Uh, you can find me on my website www.jimryan.com, one word. That's J I M R I O N, and. Uh, buy my book discovering yamaguchi sake uh, wherever fine books are sold i guess most people are probably shopping on amazon these days but it's out there uh andrew where can people find you on my website www.originsake.com yeah the brewing season is probably not your favorite time to be online i guess but uh most likely my least responsive point of the year (laughs) right now actually so uh, apologies if someone does get in touch and I'm a bit slow to, to get back to you. That is why. Uh, but you're doing the good work, so uh, we, we all appreciate it. All right. Uh, so thanks again for listening. I hope everybody stays warm out there as the winter months approach. Uh, keep your tokuri full, but drink responsibly. And uh, have a great one. Kanpai. Kanpai. Kanpai.